Hey, welcome back to The Urban Monk. I am actually sitting in my dining room with a dear friend who's visiting, who's also very pregnant. Oh my goodness. Um, Emily Fletcher's been on the show before, um, and she's in my town, and now she's in my house, and we're hanging out. Hi. Hello. <laughs> I am in your house yeah, and yeah. in your town. That's it. And there's a baby in my belly. There's a baby in your belly, and my babies are coming in, what, like an hour or so. You're going to see absolute pandemonium. Am I going to want to take it? There's no wanna, taking it back. There's no reversing at this <laughs> Nope, point. you're in. You're in. You're in. <sighs> and so we're actually, um, you know, as you know, I've moved my podcast to audio only, so I could just, like, chill the hell out. So I did my makeup for nothing is what nothing, you're telling me. Nothing. You guys, nothing. I look amazing. She does. She does. <laughs> I wish you could see this, but you can't. Um, so actually, uh, you know, she's actually going to hang out and co-host my group call with the Urban Monks uh, later this afternoon yes. and do some Qigong with us as well. But yeah, you might be the first. No, I think someone else has jumped in. Sean, do you think someone else jumped in at some point and did that? Like yeah. someone like Abel was at my lie. house or something? Just lie to me. I like being the first. You're the first. Thank you. You're the first. Thank you. You're definitely the first. So... <laughs> Mindfulness, meditation, you're a Broadway gal who, you know, had a lot of stress and anxiety. Give a little bit of backstory in case someone's never heard your, like, podcast, for, like, from before. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Broadway 10 years was the thing I wanted to do since I was a little teeny tiny tot. And about three weeks after my first Broadway show, after, you know, I got my debut, I achieved the thing I wanted to do my whole life, and it was the saddest I'd ever been. I remember like just breaking down in my kitchen with those hilarious, like just dramatic cries where you're like in the floor on your kitchen. <laughs> and I realized at a pretty young age that I was more interested in the, per- the happiness of pursuit than I was the pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I mm-hmm. liked the pursuing of the goal mm-hmm. of being on Broadway. That's when I was happiest. I felt the most alive. And then once I got there, I was sad because I didn't know what to work towards. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is, I tend to work with a lot of high performers, high achievers. And I think I do that because it's, it's what my story was. I mm-hmm. achieved this level of success that I genuinely believed was going to make me happy. And then I was not happy. And then I was like, well, what do I do now? And so I kept looking for it in the next show, the next boyfriend, the next agent, the next zero in the bank account. And I did that for a decade. And I had a moderate amount of quote unquote success. But after a decade, the stress started to really you know, take its toll on my body. I started having insomnia. Well, I guess I should say that my last Broadway show was a chorus line and I was understudying three of the lead roles. So you like show up to the theater with no idea what's gonna happen that night. So you're just constantly in like, am I on? Am I not on? Which character am I on? Are they going to switch me? So this is constant what if. So even if you're not on, you're like, I might be on in five minutes. So I better be ready. So anyway, I started having insomnia for 18 months. I started going gray at 26, 27. Started getting sick and injured. So here I'm living my dream and I'm miserable. And this girl sitting next to me in the dressing room said, you know, she's crushing it. She's understanding five of the lead roles and every dance, every song, every bite of food, she's just nailing it. And I was like, I'm sorry, what do you know that I don't know? And she said, I meditate. I rolled my eyes. I was like, oh God, one of you. This was, you know, (laughs) 11 years ago and there was not the neuroscience then that there is now. And all the high performers in the land had not outed themselves as high, as, you know, meditators yet. It was actually the secret to their success for decades and no one wanted to talk about it. Yeah, because everyone thought it was like hippy dippy and weird. And Mm -hmm. so no one wanted to be the first person to say, I do it. Mm -hmm. And then I think the more sort of celebrities and CEOs and hedge fund managers that said, yes, I do it, the more neuroscience started studying it and it's become this beautiful upward spiral that it's you know you don't have to meditate but you can't write it off anymore right you know you, it's like you don't have to exercise but you can't tell me that exercise isn't good for you right as a matter um, of fact we know it's 
what you should be doing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Now you choose. Cliff's notes. <laughs> <laughs> you should be meditating. And what I'd love for us to talk about is like why people aren't right. and give people the tools to move through that. So anyway, I finally started. First day, first class, I was meditating. I was in a different state of consciousness that I had ever been in before and I liked it. That night I slept through the night for the first time in 18 months. I have every night since. That was 11 years ago. Then stopped going gray, stopped getting sick. I didn't get sick for eight and a half years. And then I had my bachelorette party and I really earned that sickness. You deserved it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, and then I stopped, I stopped going gray. I started enjoying my job again. And I was like, why does everybody not do this? So I left Broadway. I went to India and I started what became a three-year training process to teach this. I was not in India that whole time. I'm not that hardcore. Um, but it's been the best thing I've ever done. And now I've taught over 7,000 people to meditate. Um, we started an online training. We have a studio in Soho. And I feel really like, I know people say that word like hashtag blessed, but I feel genuinely blessed mm. to be able to be a part of this facilitation process of people really stepping into their full potential and their full performance capabilities. You mentioned something. You said the happiness of pursuit versus the pursuit of happiness. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of distinguishes the Western versus the Eastern and mm. also the sane versus the insane in a lot of ways, right? Like we we don't really know the difference. Like you're in the conquest of something. When you get there, it's empty and then you keep going, you keep going. Uh, what is this happiness that we're talking about that's so elusive, right? Is it dopamine results-based happiness? Mm that most people kind of equate with happiness? I would call it bliss, right? And I know that word, people don't like it because it sounds a little hippy-dippy or airy-fairy, but... <laughs> do you do ecstasy? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually my playa name. When I go to Burning Man, my playa name is bliss. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I'll define what I... Here's how I define bliss. Um, the piece of you that knows that everything's okay. And I used to define it as the piece of you that knows that everything's going to be okay. But even that is the I'll be happy when syndrome. Mm -hmm. Everything's going to be okay as the kingdom of heaven is coming later on, mm. you know, but it's always here. It's always now. Mm. So bliss is the ability to access that internal fulfillment, connectedness and peace, no matter what the circumstances are. And, and I think it's possible to experience bliss even when you're sad, even when you're angry, even when you're jealous. And it might be 0.001% of you that knows that everything's okay, but there is a percentage of you that mm. knows it. Mm. And, and what I've found is that when people start a regular meditation practice, and largely it is through dopamine and serotonin, as you start to really change the neurochemistry of your, of your brain and body, then it's easier to access that bliss and fulfillment regardless of what's going on in your external mm. circumstances. A lot of people think, oh, well, meditators just have extra time. They're meditating because they have more time or their life is just easy so they can afford to meditate when it doesn't work that way. It's mm. like, oh, they put in the time of doing the practice and then their life gets better and then they have more time. Well, the biggest most baddest people I know are the people that are also meditating. And so, you know, it's the people who have more time that spend it watching TV, right? Like it's you, people waste time mm -hmm. frivolously. Yeah. And it's our most valuable resource. And when people are like, Oh, I don't have time to meditate. It's like, okay, do you have time to be stupid, sick and slow? Yep. Because that's what stress is doing to you. You know, the Harvard medical school came out with some stats saying that 
Um, stress is responsible for somewhere between 80 to 90 percent of all doctors visits mm. and some scientists are calling stress the black plague of our century mm. and so it's like and you know we, you and I were talking earlier and I was saying my new mission in life is to eradicate unnecessary suffering from the planet which is a big mission and it's not to eradicate suffering right like that's a part of the human experience mm. people are gonna die your kids are gonna get sick like like suffering is a part of the human right. experience and I think not to be avoided when it's when it's time to suffer right. feel it feel it fully but unnecessary suffering is just a colossal waste of your resources Mm. and the most valuable resource being time yeah yeah i have spent too much of my time (laughs) trying to chase things in life where i thought it was the next thing i was actually just having this conversation earlier it's like you know the guys like asking me what it was like when you become a monk and i was like look i you know i started doing this shit when i was in my 20s and it was like this quest for nirvana, this thing where it's like, you know, in, in some sometime in the future, I'm going to like achieve enlightenment yes. and everything's going to be great. Yes. Right. And so you're like, it's the next form. It's the next set. It's this. And, and so you become this like spiritual consumer, right? Losing now at the expense of, the, of like, you know, the future or something like that. Right. It's, it's terrible. Thank you so much for sharing that because it's like even monks, right. Then there's always a new layer of enlightenment, a higher state of consciousness to achieve. Oh, it was Broadway, man. It's when like, it's- how come she got to do that number? How come they learned the tiger form and I didn't. Right. And it's just like, you're watching the monks, like, you know, competing about who's like getting ahead and who's got the teacher's favor. Yeah. It's all, it's all that like human drama bullshit. Yeah. Cause we're human. And I right. think where the beauty comes in is when we really fully embrace the fact that we have 50% left brain and 50% right. Mm-hmm. You know, that that left brain is all about individuality and ego and humanity and competition mm-hmm. and I'll be happy when, and that's part of it. We don't wanna, we don't wanna dismiss it or say that it's bad or try and eradicate it. But what I've found is that most humans in this day and age are living so fully in their left brain and in their individuality and in that mm-hmm. past future piece of them, the ego, if you wanna use that term, versus there's a whole other 50% of the brain right there, the right brain, Mm. which is in charge of connectedness. And that's the piece of us that taps into collective intelligence and the piece of us that's in charge of intuition and present moment. Mm. So I don't think it's an either or phenomenon. I think the happiest people really embrace the and. Mm. Yes, I'm competitive. Yes, I want to sleep with that guy. Yes, I want to make a million dollars. And if I'm not enjoying myself right now along the way, then what is the effing point? Mm. Hmm. But the point is uh, delayed gratification, right? Like Mm. in the future, when I do sleep with that guy or that girl, whatever that is, then everyone's going to look at me and be like, you know what? He won. She won. Mm. Right. And it's it's bullshit. It's all bullshit. (laughs) Right. And so you mentioned something, this kind of tethering, which I want to go back to because this is what like, so... When I talk about meditation with like students, it's really about saying like, you know, you know, well, how long should I meditate? I'm like, 24 seven. Like, what are you talking about? Like you're constantly in mindfulness, but your time on your cushion is about establishing a connection with that place so that even if it's 0.1% of your psyche in a crisis that knows everything is going to be okay, you have a little bit of familiarity with that space. Mm. So I want to talk about I mean, you, you kind of fell into it early, right? Like some people will sit there and be like, it's not working. It's not working, right? Like they won't have meditation kind of like be of service to them for a while, at least admittedly, right? Mm-hmm. But what was that crossover for you when all of a sudden you're like, whoa, whoa, what's this? 
I mean, you're right. I, I was very fortunate in the fact that the first, my first foray into meditation was a technique that, that is what I teach now. And I think it's very effective. I think it's very fast. I think it's very powerful. And it's designed for people with busy minds and busy lives. And so it was, it was a huge transformation very quickly for me. So it grabbed all your senses and like lassoed you in kind of thing. Well, it was just, it was, I had literally never been in the state of consciousness that I was in. It was that my body was getting deep rest, but my mind was very alert, which is the opposite of sleep where your mind is in blackout sleep, but your body is sucking wind, you know, so it's, it's the converse of that. And so I was conscious sort of, but I also knew that my body was getting very deep rest simultaneously. And then I felt so refreshed, so rejuvenated, so awake, so conscious afterwards. But then the kicker for me was literally that night I slept through the night and I had been having like dreams of being possessed by the devil for like 18 months. Like it was like intense. Like I could not sleep. When you can't sleep, everything is hard. Bad things happen. Yeah, Yeah, life is exhausting. Your body can't repair. Everything seems stressful. Everything's overwhelming when you're tired. And so if the only thing that meditation had done for me was cure my insomnia, it would have been worth the investment. But then everything's started getting better now admittedly you know i've taught a bunch of people to meditate and most people have a very similar experience to mine their issue might not be insomnia it might be ibs or anxiety but most people have a pretty quick transformation however it's it's not a hundred percent of the time there's sure. like one to two percent of the people where they're like i'm just sitting here mm-hmm. and like my life's fine like i don't know work was normal mm. and and they don't really see this like switch and it's not a light switch it's a shedding of skin it's gentle it's a gentle transition um but i think it's the hardest for people to commit when they don't see anything mm-hmm. like even when it's hard when they're like i'm really angry and sad and tired but i know it's working mm. because meditation is creating this emotional and physical like purge and detox mm. even that is easier to commit to than just like yeah i just feel like i'm sitting here in a chair and nothing's happening in my mm. life mm. so i really i spend a lot of my time encouraging those people to be like look i know this is not what you want but let's give it a couple of weeks like i try to encourage people to take their lens out and play the long game Mm. i'm like look even if i'm a total snake oil salesman and even if everything i'm saying is just hogwash just you sitting quietly in a chair with your eyes closed is Mm. good for you because you're not on your iphone which is degenerating your brain Mm. Mm -hmm. right so it's like even if meditation was just nothing just you sitting in a chair is good for you right Uh, because it's at least time to digest versus being bulimic of the brain which most of us are now um, but, but the reality is it's not snake oil. It does work and it's not just digesting. You're giving your, your body and your brain this time to, to purge and have a mm. catharsis really. I like the metaphor of uh, floss, right? It's like I don't sit there flossing going like, oh, I'm getting rid of cavities right now or I'm like solving, you know. But it's just what you do. It's mental hygiene. It's oral hygiene, right? And so it's like you start doing it then you like then all of a sudden like when you don't floss, you're just like, there's some shit in my teeth and I know it, right? Like you yeah. just, you feel that. Like mentally, when I'm not meditating, I'm like, well, you know, I'm a little clunky right now. Yeah. I'm a little clunky. There's something stuck between these teeth here, right? Yes. Like, and, and it's just, I don't feel my best at, because I know what it feels like to meditate. Mm-hmm. People who don't, you know, they're, it's it's almost scary. And I want to I kind of address that, right? Because people don't like to look inward. There's so many like, I mean, you're having dreams of being possessed that's pretty hardcore right <laughs> but like you know people have shit right like and they're like i don't i don't want to look into it it's scary yeah. right and so what's your what's your answer to that like with meditation 
I think people are scared of two things. Well, a million things, but two main things when it comes to meditation. One is exactly what you said. We spend so much time looking externally for our happiness that we're, we're terrified to look internally. We don't want to face that stuff. And in mm. fact, there are billions and billions of dollars of industry built on top of ensuring that you never have to feel a feeling. Mm-hmm. Don't be sad. Have a cookie. Don't be lonely. Mm. Get on Facebook. Don't mm. feel fat. Wear some Spanx. Don't feel mm. lonely. Buy this car. You know, mm-hmm. just don't feel. Don't be angry. Have a pill. Hmm. We just dampen the system symptoms and we just mask our feelings and we'll help you avoid. We'll help you avoid in any way we can. Sugar, alcohol, pot, pills. Hmm. You pick your poison, right? And and I recently learned, and you feel free to fact check me on this, but I think that it's forty-four percent of American adult women are either on anti-anxiety or antidepressants. Forty-four percent. Now, this is not a judgment against that. I think a lot of people need them and they can be really relevant tools. And I have students who meditate and are on anti-anxiety and antidepressants. So this is not a judgment. And I think genuinely some people need them. However, I do not believe that 44% of American women have a Zoloft deficiency. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. that we're not addressing the root problem. And I think we're terrified of feeling. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like really my job as a meditation teacher is to give people the space and the room to move through this emotional and physical purging that happens for a lot of people and know that it's okay. Mm. Like we're so afraid, like I'm just going to break down. I'm going to lose it. Mm -hmm. You don't break anything when you cry. You don't lose anything. You just Mm. send toxins out of your eyeballs. Nothing breaks inside of you when you cry. You Mm. just feel better five minutes later. (laughs) (laughs) Fancy that. It's like, why are we so afraid of it? But then you look weak. I actually think you look really strong and we all owe Brene Brown a huge debt of gratitude because she is introducing these concepts into the vernacular, which is, you know, vulnerability from a place of strength, Hmm. right? That this is the most powerful position there is, is vulnerability from a place of strength, Hmm. right? And she's really introducing sort of these divine feminine concepts in a way that's super palatable to a mainstream Hmm. audience. And I just, I'm finding myself increasingly more enamored with that woman my new favorite Brene Brown quote just for funsies is uh, people are hard to hate up close lean in mm. Mm. that's so good that's good yeah. that's good it's kind of like the, uh, the, the the quote that's been attributed to Stalin it's like you you know you, you a family dying is a tragedy but a hundred million families you know dying is a statistic um, kind of thing yes, right yes it's easy to be like those people you know yes those republicans those blacks those browns those whatever right yeah. 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 And then the other thing I think people are afraid of when they start a meditation practice is yes, looking inward. Yes, feeling that lifetime of stuff we've been shoving down. Being like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Mm. But the other thing I think people are genuinely afraid of is their own potential and their own success. I think oftentimes we spent so many decades managing our anxiety. All of our traumas, all of our hurdy-poos have become such a part of who we are and our identity that we're terrified of who we'll be without it. And, and like the fear of stepping into the unknown, because once you step into your greatness, then you have to be accountable to that. And I genuinely believe most people are more afraid of their success than they are their failure. So I want to stand this for a minute because I think a lot of people are stuck here. The world is what it is. This is how it works. Kim Kardashian says this, everyone runs out and buys it. Like, you know, there's a, there's like an order to the world. And I just, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm painting this picture now, obviously, where, you know, people just feel like there's some sort of order and they have to be this person and hold this storefront. Or if they lose it, then like this whole house of cards comes crashing down. They got to like look under like, you know, the sheets or whatever. Uh, 
is all fucking crazy, right? Like the world is what you make it to be. Mm. So how like this insistence on like staying in the status quo and being the person you think you need to be and all these things. I mean, that's I mean to me that's where forty four percent of women are stuck, mm-hmm. right? Is it women? I always say that are women, not woman, right? <laughs> yeah, like yeah, plural. Um, is trying to be this person in an artificial construct of a reality that doesn't really exist, but you like have to keep enforcing it, right? Mm-hmm. So how does meditation help us separate from that delusion and wake up to ourselves? Mm-hmm. So it's a really good question. And, and the answer is quite simple, actually. It gives you access to your own fulfillment in the only place that it resides, which is inside of you. And so you can no longer live under the illusion that your happiness lies on the other side of more Instagram followers or whatever shoe brand Kim Kardashian is recommending or your next boob job or your next, you know, a company acquisition or car or whatever your thing is. Mm. And when you start to actually, because we every spiritual text has been teaching this since the beginning of time, what you seek is in you. Mm. And that's great to understand that as an intellectual concept, but it is much, much more powerful to have the tools to be able to experience that mm. viscerally and tangibly every day, twice a day. Yep. And that in no uncertain terms is what meditation provides for you. And the cool thing is it feels nice not only when you're doing it, but that dopamine and serotonin sticks around even after the meditation. Mm. And then you're, you're walking around eyes open with this connection with this fulfillment internally which gives you a sense of detachment around all the stuff around you but I think more importantly when your body starts to know that you can access that fulfillment internally you actually feel safe enough to release and process the lifetime of trauma that you've been holding on in mm. your cells. So mm. my analogy that I like to give to my students, like on, if, on like day two or three of the course is usually pretty intense. And that's when people are like sad and angry and tired and like, what have you done to me, Emily? <laughs> How um, dare you? <laughs> and I'm like, ooh, remember that breakup that you had? Well, Ooh. that's still in there. That Taco Bell, yeah. that's still in there. Mm. Um, so the analogy I like to use is imagine there's a 10-year-old boy. Okay, and let's say he goes to school and there's a bully at school and the bully punches him in the face and takes his lunch money and is like, don't you cry. Don't you cry because if you do if you cry, I'm going to do it again tomorrow. And he's 10, so he manages to suck it up and keep it together and he goes for the whole day without crying. And he finally gets home and he sees his mom and his mom can tell something's off. And she looks at him and she says, honey, what's, what's wrong? Are you okay? And she hugs him and suddenly he's like, oh my God, and he just starts crying. Now, is it his mom that's making him cry? No. It's that he feels safe enough with his mom to release the day's trauma. Hmm. And that's ultimately what meditation does for us. It's like she wraps us in her ample bosom and is like, I got you. Hmm. And we finally feel safe enough to let go of the lifetime of trauma or the status quo that we've been trying to prove to everyone that we're so perfect. Hmm. It's like once you know you can actually be happy internally, you don't need to prove to anybody else that you're perfect. Once you know you're happy internally, you don't have to prove to anyone else you're perfect. Um, intellectually that makes sense Mm -hmm. until you feel that you don't know what that feels like right Mm -hmm. and so i think that's also part of it is like intellectually we're all like okay well yeah mindfulness it's become a buzzword who the fuck's meditating right that's the problem right yes (laughs) yes Yes. so you're absolutely right mindfulness has become a buzzword and people are using mindfulness and meditation as synonyms which i would love to talk about the difference between the two yep but you're right. Everybody knows we quote unquote should be meditating, but not that many people are actually doing it. Like mm-hmm. I will teach at meditation conferences and I'm like, how many people meditated today? Show of hands. And right. It's like 30% Crickets. of the people. Yeah. And so 
I think the people aren't actually doing it because they've convinced themselves that they're too busy. And this goes back to the mental hygiene piece that you were talking about. A lot of people perceive meditation as like a pedicure for their brain. Mm. It's like, oh, that's like a nice luxury item that I'll get around to when mm. I have more time. And we have got to reframe this. We yeah. have to start to see meditation as the single most important piece of mental hygiene that we must practice every day because it's our effing brain. Mm. It is the thing that is responsible for every single decision that you make and for every single cell in your body. And when we look at what's happening with like the political divide, the economic divide, school shootings, terrorism, the fact that our food isn't food anymore, like I have made arguments that all of those things are symptoms of this underlying imbalance, which is stress. Mm. Sure. And I'm, so I think that, you know, rather than trying to solve each individual symptom, why don't we actually go for the underlying imbalance? Mm. And that always starts in the mind. The Buddhists call people hungry ghosts. And people who are not meditating, people who haven't kind of come to their senses, they're wandering around like hungry ghosts. Mm. And so for me, I almost see every, almost everything is a spiritual malady on the planet, right? Like if you're not connected with yourself, if you're not connected with your own pain and suffering, I can't connect with yours. So it's just like, suck it up. Who cares? I don't, you know, I don't care. Stiff upper lip. The same, you know, it's like everyone's like, everyone's like that kid hiding from the bully, right? And, and not able to like have a good cry. And mm -hmm. if I can't cry, then when you're crying, I judge you. Yeah. Right, like you little wimp, right? Yeah. Um, and that spiritual malady, I think, is um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about solutions from people who are not coming from a place of consciousness or balance, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, here we are. Here's the world. Yeah. Right. So you said you've trained how many people? Seven thousand. Seven thousand. About a little more than two thousand face to face, and about five thousand online. Online. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank God for online. Right. It's I just. Know. It's fascinating. I've been, I've been at this like hustling for the past six years and I've only taught 2000 people face to face. And right. I'm an, I'm, I'm, I would quote, consider myself a successful meditation right. teacher and I'm, I'm a hustler Right. and I've only been able to actually teach 2000 face to face. Mm -hmm. And I've doubled that more than doubled that online. Right. And admittedly, you know, what you can do online, I don't think is as powerful as what you can do in person. I think nothing takes the place of face to face transmission, but if I, I like to joke that like the in-person course is the Tesla and the online is a really good Toyota. Right. And it's like, would you rather have a Toyota or nothing? You know, right. it's like, get in the car. Get yeah. in the car that's available to you. It'll get you around. Yeah. yeah. It's cold out. I'm driving a Toyota right now and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a vehicle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, and so that's it. Like you're helping all these people. Um, out of these 7,000, what have you seen in transformation? Because there's the people who, you know, say they do and they don't obviously like i go to i've been out these like all these like conscious capital like events right where all these people are like you know allegedly do-gooders a bunch of assholes right <laughs> a bunch of assholes you know self-righteous not doing anything and it's just like oh my god you're like a lot of these people are the most unconscious people i've ever seen so you go to a meditation the expo and no one's meditating right so the people who are actually doing this stuff what's the difference right like what makes them step through that and become the better people that they are and what is it going to take for people you know who are you know thinking about it to actually step to it through and do it mm. right 
Well, I guess I'll start by saying I can tell if my students are meditating based on their on their Facebook posts and their Instagram posts because here's the post of a meditator. They're like, "Look at the dewdrop on this rose petal. <laughs> Isn't it glorious? Look how look at the stunning the way the sun is shining through the window." And then if they're not meditating, it's like, "Blarg, my mud from the truck got on my coat today. This is always my <laughs> luck." And I'll reach out and I'll be like, "Hey, how's the meditation going?" And they're like, "I quit." I'm like, I know. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. And it's Obviously. just so clear from where I sit, like your your reality is telling on you. Yeah. You know, yeah. your perception of your reality is telling me whether or not you're taking care of your brain. And and I think that when people, well, A, I think most people aren't meditating because they haven't actually taken the time to train. They think that because it's simple, they should already magically know how to do it. Right. And and then they just sit in a chair and try and clear their mind and then they feel like they're failing and then they quit because none of us will do anything for very long that we feel like we're failing at. Right. So I'd say step one is actually get the training. Now, the people who get the training and then quit, I think it goes back to those two fear points. They're afraid of actually feeling mm. the lifetime of stuff inside or they're scared of their potential. Mm. And I think that that's more of a psychological issue than it is a meditation issue so there's people who are like surfers and then there's people who wear board shorts of surfers (laughs) there's people who meditate and then there's like instagram selfie people yeah i call those mood makers (laughs) (laughs) like people who like to make a mood about meditation Mm -hmm. people are always in ceremony but don't Mm -hmm. actually meditate right yeah it's not my favorite flavor yeah but it's a this is the thing this is also what i I think starts to ruin it like everyone's like oh yeah meditation like yeah i got that Mm -hmm. you know notch right in my belt oh my god i have a hilarious story i was at a conference actually the same conference where you and i met and i was talking to these two ladies and they're like yeah cool meditation it's so great and then we were walking into the party she has a a glass of red wine in her hand and in her phone like her or in her purse her phone beeps she pulls it out and she's like oh my gosh it's time for me to meditate and she touches a button on her phone and then puts it back in her purse and I was like I'm sorry I have to stop you I was like can you just talk me through what just happened and she goes well my it's my app telling me I have to meditate today so I just press play and put it back in my purse because I don't want to miss a day and I was like who are you (laughs) lying to (laughs) I was like who are you trying to impress and I was like I you know I was just and I really I mean I grilled her because I needed to understand yeah, the yeah, psychology yeah. you are the like, problem with my entire <laughs> thing right here right like you're or the answer to my yeah. business you know what I mean and like, this is what, the pain point yeah yeah like what is she chasing and who is she trying to impress like is she looking for the hundred checks marks in a row that she can post the, in, the photo on yeah, Instagram score. Like, what is she, you know, I couldn't understand it. But finally, it was like she didn't want to ruin, like, her streak. She had felt some momentum that she was building. And she felt like if she missed a day, that she would not care as much about committing moving forward. So for her, it was about, like, keeping on this streak. But but she was lying. But it's a lie. But it's a lie. (laughs) But it's a lie. Yeah. Yeah, That's, oh. (laughs) Yeah, but, and so, okay. The question then is, does she then go post that she nailed it? With conviction, I mean, obviously we don't know, but like there's the people that pretend they're doing something because it's part of their identity, Mm -hmm. right? I think the bigger question, I think maybe the more important question is how do we get the people 
to a practice that's actually going to move the needle in their performance? Mm. How do we get people tools where the return on investment is so palpable that they can actually see and feel how much better they perform in their day mm. so that pushing play on a, on a button on a phone mm. to look good on social media is like not the point. That right. Like, like I, I meditate every day twice a day because I'm an idiot when I don't do it. Right. Like I'm so used to performing at a certain level and I've constructed my life in a way that I have to show up and be present and be cognitively and creatively available at like 90% of my life. So if I don't practice that mental hygiene, I cannot perform at the level in the life that I've constructed. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm more interested in is how do we get people quote unquote addicted? It's not an addiction because it's constructive versus destructive, but how do we get people addicted to this Mm -hmm. thing to where they see the return on investment is so exponential that it's non-negotiable for them? Well, that's, that's a big question because it means you have to step into a bigger life because the life you're living doesn't require you to be that good or else you would you know, do what it takes to get out of your own way. Yeah. So most people are settling for a mediocre life. And mediocrity is the enemy of, I think, all progress. Yeah. Fucking sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking sucks. <laughs> I hate it when I allow oh, myself man. to do it. But. Oh, man. <laughs> well, look, we could go on forever. I just want to make sure that um, my students know how much I love you. Um, and you know, if you're listening to this right now, um, look, I... I'm a big fan of the work that she's doing. And I think that, you know, she has been helping a lot of people. Um, She's been available. She's been active. She's hustling and she's freaking good at it. Right. So, uh, well.org slash Ziva, Z-I-V-A. She's got a two week course where you just, just bang through it, learn the stuff and do it. Right. That's the thing. Learn it and do it. And on the other side, you're a better you, right? Pure and simple. And it makes you more you. It's not meditation. It's not going to change you. It's going to make you more yourself. But then I can't stay this stressed out false construct of who I think people need me to be. And life is going to be so much more beautiful on the other side and so much more easier. And your kids don't need a stressed out version of you. Your coworker doesn't need a stressed out version of you. Your husband doesn't want an angry version of you. They want the most amazing, beautiful, present, kind version of you. And that is literally the gift that is waiting for you. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Keep up the good work. Uh, So good to have you in my house. I'm honored to be here. And I'm really, truly, like I know people say words a lot, but you truly are an inspiration to me, both in your personal integrity and in your global mission. And you really uh, inspired me to up my game of the level of performance that I expect of myself. So thank you. Yay. Cool. Thank you. I'll see you next time. Bye, friends.